Um, love to have you take your Bibles and uh, join me as we turn to Exodus chapter 20 once again this summer, 10 weeks in a row, working our way through the Ten Commandments, and uh, then after a brief transition early September, we will be heading into a, a nine-month study of the Gospel of Matthew. Never want to get far away from the life of Christ, and so we're heading there again this fall. But actually today, then, the, the sixth commandment, as we look at the ten, ten of them, Exodus chapter 20, the study sheet in your bulletin will be a help to you. I want to, I want to remember with you uh, one of the stories in the New Testament as a, as a lead-in to where we're going today. I referenced it several weeks ago, the first of July, when we began our study in the, in the Ten Commandments. It's a story that's told in Mark chapter 10 and same conversation in Luke 18, uh, where, where a, a guy comes to Jesus and he asks a question that's really on a lot of people's hearts. He just asks it a certain way. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we can debate the words he uses and so on, but basically he's saying, what do I have to do to go to heaven? That's a great question. Uh, people wonder that. They've been wondering that for a long time. What do I have to do to, go, to get to heaven? So Jesus interacts with this question. Uh, first, because the guy said, good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. In other words, are you, are you actually acknowledge, acknowledging me as God? Or what do you mean by that? It's a great question. But then he gets down to brass tacks. And he says, uh, you know the commandments. Guess which commandments he goes to. Hint. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. He goes right to the Ten Commandments. He says, you know, you know the commandments. And he starts with the sixth. You know, don't kill people, things like that. And he begins to list some of the commandments. And interestingly, the young man says, I've kept all those commandments from my youth. Now, we, having studied these so far, quickly shake our heads and say, oh, my goodness, young man, if you think you've come even close... Wow, you have no close friends, because they would let you know. Well, Jesus is very kind. He doesn't just smack him. He doesn't laugh at him. He, he rather addresses him back to the first commandment. That's really what he does. He, he, Jesus knows he's a rich guy, and he loves, he loves money. And Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it away. Now, some people have read that as another thing you're supposed to do, like give away lots of stuff and then you can earn heaven. That's not the point. You missed it completely. Jesus is referring to the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus knew for him, God, his functional God was money. So Jesus says, how about if you get rid of that as your functional God and you get back on track with the first commandment? Very interesting. Mark's gospel also tells us Jesus, I love this, Jesus looked at him, it says, and loved him. Did you know that? Jesus looked at him and loved him as he answered. I love that question, or that the question the guy asked, Jesus' answer. He points him back to the Ten Commandments, and he uses the Sixth Commandment as a Kind of a lead in. Now, today we come to this, what some of us are going to think is an easy one, right? We've been talking about this, the Ten Commandments, and we kind of go, oh, broke that one, broke that one, broke. And we get to the six, and it says two Hebrew words, uh, a few more than that in English, don't, don't murder, or thou shalt not kill, as we famously learned it in the old King James. And we look at that and go, finally, (laughs) 
Haven't done that one. I've, I, I'm one out of 10, okay? Or may, maybe eventually two. We'll see how that goes. But I'm one out of 10. I've got something in my hands to bring when I, when I stand before God and say, well, you know, 10%, right? So what? Oh, dear friends, dear friends. Um, today, we're going to be looking at book of Exodus and especially the commentary of Jesus in Matthew 5. And I tell you what, again, again and again, uh, the, the, the moral law of God, we've, we've talked about the ceremonial law, the civil law, the moral law of God, this section of the moral law of God, it, listen, it breaks us. Because if you walk in here thinking, oh, good, I've kept that one. Oh, dear friend, you have another story coming. And it's going to hurt. It's going to have a bite to it. Because before we're done with all 10, you will stand with me in saying, oh, dear God, I've broken them all. I've broken them all. More than once. And frankly, I've broken them all and I've rather enjoyed breaking some of them. No, honest. And it forces us not to despair. It helps us, it helps us to run to Jesus. And that's where we're going to go today. Okay, so, so even as we prepare to have the moral law of God crush us, sorry, gently, but good, like a hammer. Uh, know that it's for our good. Indeed, it is, because it takes us to Savior, takes us to our Savior, Jesus. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to get after this, okay? Very interesting things, I think, for us to look at together today. But as we come to the Word of God, uh, join me as we pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for being uh, a God who is our Savior, our Creator, our Savior, Redeemer, a God who has spoken authoritative clearly in the Word of God. Our Father, I pray that you would drive us here to the text. You'd allow, help us to allow the Word of God, Father, to, to, to do its work. The work that the law is intended to do, which is, which is to cause us to see you clearly and cause us to see ourselves truly. And then push us toward a Savior. So, Father, do that work among us today. May your gospel be clear among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, on your study sheet, some words of review to help you remember where we have been. And uh, I'll let you take a look at those little paragraph about today's text in particular. But I want to read both from Exodus and then over in Matthew 5. So Exodus, I just want to read the same text, I guess, multiple times this summer, these words to become continually more clear to us. But Exodus 20, starting verse 1, and down through verse 17, this whole account of the 10 words, the 10 commandments, uh, we read this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And there you have those immediate words, the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to go right to Matthew 5, and I want you to hear the words of Jesus, who now, many, many years later, is, is addressing an audience who knows that text like the back of their hand. And he says to them in Matthew 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 17, just a part of this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the, to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, this, this text, this verse should, should make you pay attention. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, sixth commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool or empty head or you idiot will be liable to the hell of fire. And then he goes on. Wow. Now, as we have commented a number of times, this, this text, Matthew 5, is full of a certain pattern. Jesus says it over and over. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, And as I've commented several times, Jesus is not raising the bar as we've often perhaps thought. You know, the Old Testament just said this and Jesus then piles on. No, no, he's not doing that. Listen, Jesus is revealing the heart of God from the very beginning. So when in Exodus 20, when God said, don't murder, he didn't just mean don't kill the guy. He meant more than that. And that's what we want to look at today. See, we are, we are woeful uh, reductionists. Back in the day, I ran track, cross country. And you know, in track, they have certain events. And there were some of these you just stay away from. It's like, oh, that would hurt. Um, like, like the high jump. It's like, I'm not going to do that. I mean, you hit, you, if you knock the bar down, you land on top of it. It makes you bruise up. I don't like that. I'm just going to run. But I don't, I, you don't land on things. Well, if you lower the bar far enough, 
even I could jump over it. Right? And so we look at a, like a commandment, like don't kill people. And you go, is that it? Just don't kill them? Stop short? Wish you could? Huh? Be sorry you missed? And Jesus takes, back and says, takes us back and says, no, no. When God said don't kill people, he had a lot more in mind than just don't kill the guy. And that's what this text is about. My goodness, Matthew 5, we're going to be referring to this over the next few weeks because Jesus goes to several of the other commandments and says, do you understand what the heart of God was to begin with? Do you, do you see it? Do you see it? Why did God say that? And that's our, that's our work today. Now, if you look at your study sheet, you see how I want to, to address these things. Because this sixth commandment, you shall not murder or thou shalt not kill, has been the subject of a lot of conversation, continues to be in the news, various media, commentators, and so on, editorials address things in the sixth commandment. And in some of these areas, I just want to give some clarity. I'm going to do so briefly. If you want longer conversation on those, I'm open to that. But I know that we can't address them in all their fullness really today. But here we go. So under this category of Old Testament, you've heard it said, the sixth commandment, I believe it is indeed best translated, do not murder rather than thou shalt not kill. Because there have been those now who said, well, kill. I mean, my goodness sakes, then there goes all kinds of things like war. You should never, you should must be a pacifist. There should never be a war and capital punishment. And what about self-defense? There have been those who said, well, I mean, don't kill, and therefore, if the bad guy comes for you, then you're just supposed to stand there and, and, and say, you know, if it's today, it's today. And, well, hold on, is that what God had in mind? Really, you shall not murder, I believe is this. It's a prohibition against the lawless taking of human life. It's not a prohibition on all killing, as brutal as that sounds. But I believe that that's, in fact, what's going on. It's a prohibition against the lawless taking of human life. And these are some examples, whether due to anger or revenge or personal convenience. And you say, what do you, what do you mean, personal convenience? Well, I would put in that category things like abortion, which I believe are a lawless taking of human life. For personal convenience, I think that's prohibited by the Bible uh, in all kinds of reasons, in all kinds of places. So, no, don't do that. Um, now, several things that I think we want to look at. The Bible tells us God values human life. He is its creator. He's the one who, in the very beginning, made people. In the beginning, God made all that is, and he made people as part of that. And therefore, the Bible gives specific guidelines about valuing human life. And I have here in front of you things like the Bible gives guidelines about the proper use of deadly force. Did you know that? That even in our our, our judiciary, our laws, many of them are formed on the basis of the Old Testament. There are people who are like, oh, we want to just get rid of this book. And you go, uh-huh, yeah, guess what? Most of our laws are based on this book in some way or another. How much of it do you want to get rid of? Like the whole thing? Let's just cleanse. Oh, before you do that, my friend. For example, uh, in the Old Testament, if you read some of these uh, books of law, civil law, and so on, upon which our laws were based, uh, there's a difference drawn. Like if you're in your house, you're sitting there drinking your morning cup of coffee, and you hear somebody starting to beat in the back door, and you can see that it's somebody who's not carrying a weapon, they don't have a baseball bat or, you know, some kind of a gun in their pocket, and you go, hey, take off, you know, rattle the door, send the dog, assuming you have a big one, and they, they run away. Well, in the Bible, it says if you can see that they're, I mean, they're, they're not going to hurt you then you have no business loading the Glock and taking them out. However, now it doesn't mention Glocks. You get the point. 
Um, I have a browning, but we'll let that go. Mm. But at night, at night, if you're sleeping and you can't see if that person's armed and dangerous, if in that setting you take them out, Old Testament law says that's a different story. You can't see. So the Old Testament draws differences between careless taking of life and genuine self-defense. Isn't that interesting? Uh, other elements that the Bible gives, and I, I mentioned your carelessness. It warns against carelessness that might result in grievous personal injury. All this because God values human life. But the Bible gives examples like, suppose you build a house, and you've got this cool house, and you want to put a, let's just say, a sunroof on the, on the top. And you're going to have a little ladder. You're going to go up there and put out your lawn chair and soak up some rays. And suppose you're smart enough to know you're not going to fall off the roof. So you don't put a, like a rail around it and somebody else goes up and falls off the roof and is injured or dies. Well, the Bible, the old Testament says you should have put a rail around it because God values life. That's why you should put a rail around it. It's not because you might fall off necessarily though. You might, but put a rail around it to protect people. If you're going to dig a pit in, in, the, in the backyard and it's 25 feet down, maybe on your property, the old Testament law says, well, Maybe if you're not there digging, you should put something on top so nobody else falls in and gets hurt. Why? You can say, well, it's my property. Yes, yes, yes. And the human life who might be injured is God's. See? So God values life. That's what I'm saying. Over and over again, Old Testament rules or laws underscored God's value of life. By the way, that's your life and everybody else who runs around you. Even the ones that are a little, well, they bug you once in a while. God values their life, okay? So the Old Testament is full of examples of, of differentiation between this is okay to, for self-defense, but this isn't okay. Why? All based on God having created life, valuing life, including yours. Now, moving on, keep, let's step into some of these sticky issues, all right? The Bible does not prohibit capital punishment or acts of war. And you might not like my phrase, sorry, both of which have their proper place in our fallen world. Do I really mean it that way? Yeah, I kind of do. In a fallen world, there is a time and a place to load them up. Did I say a happy place? Did I say something you sail into and say, well, this is going to be great? No, 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 no. A sad and terrible place. More on that in a minute. But the Bible does not prohibit either capital punishment or acts of war. I want to read a couple little portions from a writer, uh, Leland Riken, who, who talks about this a bit. And then I'm going to make a couple other comments on both of those areas, because these are discussed, debated. What is a Christian position? So you're going to hear mine and why I hold that. And you guys know, if you hear me preach often, you know that I like to differentiate between the specific ex, uh, word that the Bible says and how I understand that. And I want you to feel free to disagree with Jay, but don't you dare disagree with this. Okay. So have at it for me, discuss it over lunch, but word of God. Okay. Now Leland Riken talks about it this way. He says, after the horrific attack on the world trade center in New York city, some people said, if we kill as a response to this great tra tragedy, we are no better than the terrorists who launched this awful offensive. Killing is killing and killing is wrong. And he has a footnote for where that came from. Killing is killing and killing is wrong. And Riken says, this is not a biblical position. Wow. Really? What do you mean by that? Well, he goes on to say, historically, 
Judeo-Christian faith, right, has, has listed, identified criteria for, for a just war. Okay? Did you know that? There are five that are historically listed. Christians have come to this conclusion, Judeo-Christian ethic, to say, then in this case, it's time to, to lock and load and go take care of this. Christians have long believed that a war is just if it is waged by a legitimate government, rather than say, oh, I don't know, you, a legitimate government. Second, for a worthy cause. Number three, with force proportional to the attack. Against combatants who are soldiers, not civilians. And fifth, when all other means of resolution have failed. Those have been the traditional five elements that those in the Judeo-Christian ethic have looked at to say, does this circumstance merit uh, this kind of a response? I think that those are, are good to think about and evaluate. Now, Riken goes on. He says the Bible makes a distinction between private individuals and the state. And, of course, by the state, he doesn't mean Washington. He means uh, legitimate government. I mentioned that down below here on your study sheet. And then he asks the question, again, things to help us think. Key issue. Why is it that God does permit some forms of killing? What makes them lawful? And his, his explanation would be this. The answer is that their goal is not the destruction of life, but it's preservation. Example, why does, why does a government have an army? Is it to kill people? To protect, to protect life. That's the motivation. That's the reason for it. Now, I say this as, a, I, I guess, an aside, but not entirely, because I have over the years, been asked by a number of people about issues of violence and so on, looking at the Old Testament. People have looked at the Old Testament and said, man, I'm having a hard time with this or this. Uh, As often, I have a book for you. Uh, This is a a book by Paul Copan, who is a professor of philosophy, and a good one, by the way, an apologist and professor of philosophy at Florida something. Yeah, Palm Beach. Yeah, he's the the Pledger Family Chair of Philosophy and Ethics at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. Um, met him in, in uh, European Leadership Forum, heard him speak. He, he's got some game, philosopher. And his book, Is God a Moral Monster? Making Sense of the Old Testament, God. So if you like to think about those things or wrestle with that, here you go. Now, a couple of other elements here. I'm going to hit them quickly. Uh, t- capital punishment then. People often talk about this and say, well, capital punishment is killing. And it doesn't, you know, there's question due to this study or that about whether it's a deterrent. Well, biblically, uh, the idea of behind capital punishment wasn't primarily that it's intended to be a deterrent. That wasn't the point. Okay. Uh, Genesis 9, 6 is the traditional verse that people look to. And it's underscored elsewhere. Uh, Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed because, because, gives a reason, because in the image of God, that person was made. So in other words, murder, murder is not, first of all, an offense against the person. You hear me now, not just the person or the family, as big a deal as that is. It's an offense against God, who's the giver of life. He's the one most offended. So, ah, boy, interesting things to think about. Now, the Bible, I go on, differentiates between acts of an individual 
and the acts of a state in a just cause, the state does have, does have the responsibility to protect its citizenry and, of course, to restrain evil. I think about that, of course. People read the news, and I do too. But I think about some of these things very personally because we have a daughter in law enforcement and a son-in-law. Um, they carry guns. They arrest people. I've been with my daughter in weapons-drawn situations, multiple officers uh, taking down somebody. I'm sitting in the front seat of the car going, honey, I hope you're going home tonight because, I mean, this could go poorly. And I'm sitting here watching. This is, this is I'm, wow. It gets real very fast. And I, I, I know this. Uh, for all of the, the, the bad things um, and rogue people in any kind of field, I know this. If, if my daughter ever had to pull the trigger, she wouldn't come home dancing. She wouldn't be celebrating that moment. She would be so deeply grieved that it came to this. And why didn't you? Why didn't you stop? Why did you, why did you do that to make me have to do this to protect life? Why did you do that? So, you know, I, I think that's a proper Christian response. I've been in settings where there's capital punishment taking place or not taking place. You understand where we read about it or hear about it it's on the news. And I've, I've seen people, oh, goodness, failing to grieve properly. Eh, these aren't moments to celebrate. These are moments to be sad. Say, wow, the brokenness of the human race. So sad to see it. But justice, justice in the image of God. Oh, my goodness. Things to, things to think about. Things to think about. Restraining evil. So, so the, I'm saying this in this category. You've heard it said that commandment, you shall not murder, um, is intended to, to restrain, to stop, to condemn the lawless taking of life. It is not intended as a command to keep you away from self-defense properly done or capital punishment or even acts of war. Those are, that's my understanding of that command. Now, if you go to that next section, I want to step into the, the words of Jesus again. Okay, we read these a moment ago, specifically Matthew 5, 20 to 22, as Jesus gives commentary. Now, uh, in this section on your study notes, you remember in our early studies of Ten Commandments, I mentioned a couple rules of interpretation, and here is one. We mentioned a key rule of interpretation that when something is prohibited, the opposite is encouraged. In other words, God is never just about not killing them, but he wants the opposite to take place. And of course, here in Matthew, he's going to underscore this whole issue. It isn't just about killing them. It's, it's, it's are you wrongfully angry at them? Yes, Ephesians will tell us there's just anger. There's also a lot of unjust anger. That's what this text is about. Jesus is talking about unjust anger. When you don't have a, you don't have a good reason, that person inconveniences you. Yeah, they do something that you'd look at and go, no reasonable person would do that. And by the way, you did that on purpose to bug me. And anger, anger. We live in an angry age, don't we? We do. And I, I say that not just to say... Those people have anger problems because guess what? We have anger problems. We have anger problems. And this text from the words of Jesus himself will tell us that when we are wrongfully angry at our brother or sister, guess what? Dear friends, we are at that very moment breaking the sixth commandment. Wow. You mean from the very beginning, the life-giving God, when he said don't murder, he didn't just mean physically, 
Sometimes we do terrible damage with our words, with our anger. We maybe, if we were not restrained by the law or circumstances or embarrassment or consequences, maybe our anger is such that if we could get away with it, we would. And don't you say you've never thought of that? I've never been that angry. Oh, really? Well, get out a little more often. Huh? Man, I remember, I vividly, I remember a schoolyard fight that I was in in third grade. Very foolishly, he cleaned my clock. But it was the old days, you know, when you could kind of go, oh, yeah, and just kind of fight. And we did. I was pretty mad at him. It was. If a teacher hadn't come, I, again, he was bigger than me. I don't know what I was thinking. Should have said, hey, no problem. Clean your shoes. I'll do whatever. But don't. But I didn't. I didn't. I rushed in and, yeah, we went at it. And, you know, it's probably a good thing it didn't occur to me to pick up a rock. Huh? I was mad. I did want to take him out. My little murderous third grade heart is not that different from your murderous heart when you're really angry. Right? Oh, Lord, my heart. Now, I gave you a couple of texts about the opposite. See, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, these are both texts where, where Paul, New Testament stuff, it's all the way through the Bible. I'm just giving examples, that's all, where, where something is prohibited, and then the Bible says, but do it this way. So in other words, Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, only what's good for building people up according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, let no unwholesome word. Don't talk like that. Don't hurt people with your words, but rather, rather, instead of being a life sucker and a life taker verbally, be a life giver verbally. So it's another, I'm just giving an example where it isn't just prohibit. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Well, there, I'll just not talk. That'll satisfy, you know. No, that isn't just the point to, to not say what you're thinking. You ever done that? Well, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Well, congratulations, and maybe good. I'm glad you don't. All right? Well, I might as well say it. It's on my heart. No, 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 no. I did not say that. It's good to restrain your words. But at the same time, before you get all self-righteous about it, know that God sees your heart, and he sees every word you would say if you weren't going to get in trouble for it. And you are accountable to him for those words you would have said, because you're saying them in your heart. So let no unwholesome word. Yes, that's correct. Don't, don't do that. Don't talk like that. Don't hurt people with your words, but rather, and the Bible gives the opposite command. Similarly, Ephesians five, another example, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk. He didn't just stop there. Okay. Then almost to the edge. No, but, but rather he said, don't be drunk with wine. That's, that's excess. Dissipation is the cool word. It's too much, but rather be controlled by be filled with the spirit of God. What controls you? If something else controls you other than the spirit of God, nah, you're, you've gone too far. So what, what controls you? But he doesn't just say the don't. He says the do. So don't, don't be drunk with wine, but rather, here's the other half of that. Be controlled by the spirit of God. So the Bible does this over and over again. This don't, but rather don't murder people. Don't be a life taker, but rather be a, be a life giver. See, now this text, then Jesus just giving a little commentary on this. You've heard it said, don't murder. We go, oh, no problem. He says, uh, 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 hold on before you dance a little too much about that. I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you just broke it. 
You just broke it. Wow. I have there on your study sheet a comment, a comment from Martin Luther. It's a one small part of a much longer one where he's just saying, yeah, you, you know, if you're standing there and you could help somebody out, you, should, you could do good to somebody, you could protect somebody, and you're just standing there because you don't want to get involved. Well, I tell you what, we live in a don't-get-involved day. We do. That's not my problem. Okay? Um, we are isolationists in many cases. We, at times as a country, have been isolationists to what I think is to a fault. Well, we can't be the world's policeman. No, you're, you're probably right. Can't fix every problem. But let me tell you, there are some you can fix. There are. You, you go back to a playground situation. You're standing there in a playground. You're a kid, right? Three thugs are over there beating up some other little guy who can't defend himself. What are you going to do? What, go get a drink of water? It's not your fight? Are you? Or are you going to go over there and go, okay, stop. Knock it off. Right? And pitch in for the little guy. He's getting creamed here. Three on one is not a fair fight. Is that what you're going to do? I'm just saying, these are things to think about. You should talk about this over lunch with whoever you're having lunch with. Uh, where's, the, where's the place where you jump in, knowing it could cost you physically or financially? Where's the place? What are the limits on that? I think you should think about these things. Because the Bible says elsewhere, whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, what did Paul say? To him it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and you don't, accountable to God. You're just going to stand there? I don't want to just stand there. I don't want to just stand there as a church. Um, no. Can you fix everything? No, of course not. So that means you should fix nothing, right? No. No, it means you should do something. Don't just stand there. Well, these are things to think about. I'll give you that final Bible rule of interpretation. And just a couple of other comments here. The inside out rule. God's rules are never just external. They're not. God's rules are never just external. He, God never just says, I care about your behavior only. He always cares about the heart. And that's why he takes us right to anger. The heart, the heart of murder is always going to be anger, anger somehow. Now, if you look at that category called implications and response, there are just a couple things I want to call out, and then I want to just, just shift us toward Jesus, because, oh my goodness sakes, to be, to be broken by the moral law of God and left there is just terrible. It's not God's plan just to leave us sitting there. Um, I've mentioned the issue of being angry. I put it here, that second bullet point, when we glorify violence, what do I mean by that? Well, you think about that. What do you mean by that? We live in a culture that glorifies violence. When we glorify violence, when we fail to care for the unborn, I'm referring here to abortion, or um, the, the weak, those with different abilities than our own, either due to genetics or accident or so on, when we undervalue the aged, when we not only want to walk people to the door on their trip to heaven, but we want to shove them through it. Okay, hold on. No, no, no. When we do those things... When we treat others with contempt, we violate the sixth commandment. We do. Sometimes Christians, and I, you hear me carefully here, sometimes the only thing when we talk about don't murder, the only thing or the main thing we want to talk about is abortion. And I agree with that. That is wrong, 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 wrong. Don't do that. But it isn't the only thing. So if you stop short of the thing that you don't do anyway and don't want to talk about the stuff you do, you are dodging the command of God. It's far easier for me to pick an application that, do, that doesn't affect me personally than it is for me to talk about anger. That gets close to home. Now, I, I, I want to I come here, this final bullet point, sixth commandment. 
This leads us to the gospel. And here's what I mean by that, folks. We're going to come to communion here in just a moment. Let me tell you something. When I look at the commands of God, 1 through 10, how many of them do I keep? How many of them through my life have I kept? Be straight up honest. I've broken them all. I've broken them all, at least in heart and spirit, and so have you. There is not one. You cannot stand before God and say, well, I'm two for ten, three for ten, four for ten, one for... You, you know what? When you understand what God was about, all about in giving those commands, really, really quickly you end up saying, oh, God, I am a law breaker. And to be honest, I love it so. My heart runs toward these things. Right? Just put yourself on a freeway at rush hour and just, I'll leave that alone. Come on. No, no. My heart, as with yours, is a law-breaking heart. And so God sent his son Jesus to be the one who pays for your sin. We're going to talk about the gospel in just a moment. There's a text. I put it there in front of you. First Peter 2, as we receive communion. I'm just going to read that and make a couple of comments. But I want to pray for us now. Thanking God for a savior. I'm going to say a word about communion. As I pray, those who are going to serve us can come on down. We want, to, we want to step toward the gospel in these closing moments of worship service. Pray with me, please. Father, we look at the, the Ten Commandments, and we, we would, if we could, lower them so far we could step over them. But your word does not allow us to so easily do that. Your word is indeed like a hammer crushing those parts of our heart that are so full of self-interest and pride. No, I'm better than others. Really, I'm not that bad. Come on. I'm pretty good. Really, I'm pretty good. I'm better than most, we say. And our Father, every one of us broken by you, broken by the moral law of God, broken, needing a Savior. Apart from you, we, we would not inherit eternal life. Father, I pray that in these moments that you would just, just help us to, to go from that, that feeling of the hammer of the law to a rejoicing in a Savior. Help us in these moments. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.